welcome once again to It Is Complicated, the podcast where we answer every single question with It Is Complicated, including what is the title of this podcast? It Is Complicated. Hello, Dr. J. And hello, Samantha Bayard. Hello. hello. Very excited <laughs> to have you here. Excited um, to be here. It's uh, It's been a while setting this up and uh, we've both given it a lot of thought. So looking forward to it. Yes. I'll do it. I'm really excited. Normally we start with an attempt at uh, presenting ourselves and usually that means I try and then I laugh in between and then I have to re-edit and then Jay tries and laughs and re-edits and then now I have the extra joy of introducing you. So how about I start there and see how badly it goes. So (laughs) Samantha Bayard, you are currently an actor who has been in several games one particularly fabulous one that was Hobbs Barrow, the beautiful indie game that is just a light. But most notably recently in the very, very popular and rightfully so Baldur's Gate 3. Prior to that, I know that you've done one of my favorite radio plays, which was The Hitchhiker's Guide to the Galaxy. When I read that you were random, it just blew my mind and I was so thrilled because my <laughs> neurodiversity... Congratulations on being the first to pick that one up, unprompted I... oh, by me. <laughs> I loved it. Oh, no. I Okay, so little story. Uh, I'm uh, neurodiverse, everyone. And one of the things that I find really hard is to fall asleep. And so what I need is something that's playing that I recognize and I know very, very well. And for a very long time, that mm. was the first four books of The Hitchhiker's Guide. And then when the new ones came out, I added those to the list, and Random was a particular favorite character of mine, the daughter of Arthur Dent. And, Thank you. Uh, yeah, <laughs> and then played another favorite character of mine. Is it Calliope you played? From- Calliope, is- yeah. as pronounced in the comics. Yes, we, we did talk about that yeah, when we recorded. Um, yeah, in the, the audible Sandman. version of Sandman, yeah. Oh, that is- I had no idea. I didn't recognize your voice, but I'm also tone deaf. So recognizing no, that's my job is to keep everyone on their toes. So you know, I sound a little bit different every time, and um, ah, good fun because that was a girly girl. I don't get to play girly girls very often, so that was fun actually. That was a <laughs> departure. I'm also in the 24 hour diner episode, the one that's pure horror. Yeah, very faithful to the text. And Tracy Wiles pops up. She plays Jahira in Baldur's Gate Three. I met her on Sandman, and we were both doing bits and bobs, jumping in and out of episodes. Oh, wow. So, bit of crossover there, yeah. <laughs> Who were you in the 24-hour diner? Because that's one of my... Judy. <gasps> Judy the lesbian? I'm, I'm sorry. You're giving me <laughs> that look of like, duh. And it's like... No, 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 okay. no. But I'm, I'm saying Neil may well have wanted me to play that because of being out and, and on, on the rainbow myself. He may have wanted me to do that. So he may have asked for me to do that one. Oh, wow. So, the description is different to, of her physically to how she is in the comic it's observed that she's a mixed race or what which i am so he really did want me to play that i think oh, amazing <laughs> he's a good one i met him on the hitchhiker's guide to the galaxy tour that we did in 2012 and 13 he got stuck with us for a few days when we were working in um yeah he just got locked in a theater with us for a few days as we text and normally gets to say a few words and walk off but we all really got to know him and then now and then when he does something for audio with Dirk Mags I get asked in so um he did a sequel to Neverwhere called How the Marquis Got His Coat Back yeah bit of a plot hole apparently and it was him and Patterson Joseph and me in a room together oh, yeah, which is fine and normal and not terrifying at all 
No, no, not terrifying in the slightest. <laughs> I met Neil through common friend Claudia Gonson from the Magnetic Fields, who then introduced me to Justin Bond, who plays mm-hmm. Desire in that. And then we hung out in a bar in King's Cross at some point. Yeah, there are many. And- <laughs> there were many that I frequented at the time and it was That's a random one I happened to walk in and it was like oh Claudia you're here and then all these other lovely people so yeah this oh oh that sounds wonderful no but that's how you and I met Josephine because we were at the first reading of was it a Nancy boys yes you came and sat with me and the other person I was with and you were supposed to wait to get your stuff signed but you decided to not bother and come walk with me up to bar whatever and start talking and I'd seen you, what, a couple of weeks before at a gig and had just been blown away and thought you were the most amazing performery person. And I was all shy. I did a show, How to Be a Femme Lesbian in 28 Easy Years. I think that was it. Yeah. And um, yes. Oh, I forgot that. That was true. Yeah. Yeah. Sorry, Neil, I snubbed you for Jay. (laughs) (laughs) I love that that's that's my claim to fame. (laughs) I'm sure he'd love that. <laughs> it was weird the first time I met him he knew who I was which really freaked me out because I was a huge Sandman fan and and Claudia had shown him a picture of me doing a, a, a dance because I started as a dancer and I did a dance performance dressed as death and I'd sent mm. her a picture because I knew she was a fan and then when I walked into that bar it was really weird and and I sat down with all these lovely people who I really liked. And then there was Neil and I was like, oh, I know who you are. And he went, yeah, I know who you are. Too. I've seen a picture of you dancing. And I was like, which one? <laughs> oh, oh. Yeah, the one that, yeah. The one okay. that, that's PG rated. Excellent. <laughs> that one. Good, 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 good. Oh, well, <clears throat> oh this lovely stories. We run in similar circles. A queer, oh, yeah. queer life that we have. Uh, so, yeah, I suppose I should introduce myself. Hello, my name is uh, Josephine Baird. We didn't do pronouns. Oh, we didn't do. Mm, I'm so bad. Otherwise, right. that was a, so much better uh, an introduction than I could have ever done. So thank you so much. That was amazing. Please continue. <laughs> Jay was correct. I'm terrible about this. I always forget to say my pronouns. But today, if it's OK, I'll start calling you Sam because you gave me permission. Sam, what pronoun would you prefer for today? Oh, I use they and she, and um, you can use either or both in a sentence. I don't care. It's all good with me. Have fun. Knock yourselves out. I used to do that, my friend uh, Ingo, 20 years ago when there wasn't the word non-binary and we were all being genderqueer. And Ingo liked he and she and particularly enjoyed when I would use them interchangeably in a sentence, which really fucked people up and I always really enjoyed doing it. I think that's why I'm... I'm asking people. Sorry, I'm a troll. I'm a natural troll. I'll give it a go. <laughs> Trolling is a lifestyle. Well, you know. I'm finding Trolling. that out, yeah. Trolling is the internet. The internet was built on trolling. All the best stuff on the internet came out of trolling. You're openly queer. You are just trolling because people Fair. just will take it that way. So why not just lean into it, right? That's, <laughs> that's why I'm such a precocious little shit. <laughs> oh, no, wise. I found my people. Gorgeous chaos goblins. I'm loving it. And Jay. So, hello, my name is Josephine Baird. I use she and her as the pronouns, pronouns plural. I am at the moment a lecturer and researcher on game design at the Uppsala University Department of Game Design, funnily enough, where I teach about game design and research them and all that sort of fun stuff. Immediately prior to doing that, I was an actor who didn't have very many jobs. And then, of course, as soon as I 
started having a real job teaching, I started doing stand-up and acting again, because fuck it, why not? And, um, oh, I get to announce this. I have a novel that's coming out very soon, on the 3rd of December, which I'm very excited about. I just Amazing. I wrote. And Can so, you say more? Okay. Uh, it is say. called uh, Where It All Started. We're releasing it for free online, one chapter a week. My dear friend Suzanne Schiffler is illustrating it. And it is, oh, I could try and find the strap line for you and tell you what it actually is about. God, I wasn't expecting this. Sorry. <laughs> I should have been prepared. Self-promotion, Josephine. Jesus. Do it. Do it. <laughs> oh, all right. Where it all started. Where it all started, novel.com. Um, it's a good old-fashioned love story between a workaholic submissive who has her whole life planned ahead of her and a dominant who would take every day as it comes if she weren't so terrified that everyone would one day leave her. Mm-hmm. And if you're interested, dear listener, you can see a preview on the website at the moment. And then in two weeks' time, first chapters are released. And then every week, new chapters with illustrations. And I do the audio book because access. We'll put the link in the show notes. Good thing you remember that sort of thing. Jay, who are you? Who am I? <laughs> I'm Dr. Jay. I use they as a pronoun. I'm a hand wavy type in IT. And I got to give myself the job title of Harbinger of Change because ThoughtWorks allowed me to write my own job title, not knowing what chaos would come from giving somebody the ability to write their own job title. The New Zealand government also allowed me to write my own gender and the statutory declaration to get the gender on my passport. So I wrote down my gender as transgressive, non-binary, genderqueer, because why not? And that's what Josephine and I worked out in about 2007 or 8 was my gender. And soon we'll have a birth certificate that lists my gender as non-binary from birth, which will be amazing because the next time somebody says, but what's on your birth certificate? I can go non-binary, mic drop. What else am I? I'm a troublemaker and a hashtag queer nuisance because branding and the trolling. I was about to tell you my best trolling. I used to troll all of the turf tags on Twitter by using if this then that API to post cat gifs at random intervals into specific turf conversations because it's really hard to be hateful when faced with random cat gifs. Yeah, if not trolling for good, human. If not faced with the human, then a cat. <laughs> yeah, can can you be transphobic to this this face? I know, right? No. Can I please have cheese bigger now? <laughs> <laughs> Oh, lovely. I'm so glad that we have this little conclave. I've been retweeting a thirsty blog now and then. Um, it's actually pretty PG what I've been tweeting. <laughs> Obviously, <laughs> I see it all. But um, oh, the, yes. the, the players are very surprised to learn that I am also on the internet. And I can see what's on the internet, especially if you tag my character's name and also have friends who show you this stuff. <laughs> yes. For those PG3 listeners... confessions on yeah. Tumblr. Enjoy. <laughs> For those listeners who may not be aware, which because we have a few regulars who may not actually play video games, the character you play in Baldur's Gate 3, Carlac, has a notable following of people who are very creative, I've noticed. Only delve so far. Mm. <laughs> yeah, I've only got so much sanity. <laughs> yeah. yeah. I, you I, know, they're allowed the head cannons. Go yeah. for it. I can only imagine it's getting really weird right now. So I won't put that sure. in if you don't want to. But... Something happened around Comic Con where, where we started stepping into the parasocial. And it was it was people who weren't there 
and were living on the internet yes it started to get a bit odd but um even even then like not it really is less than one percent of encounters directed at me that have been negative that is overwhelmingly good (laughs) i was not expecting that i'm a human and an out non-binary person existing on the internet i was yeah expecting a lot more but as you know, the game's very queer friendly and um, sex positive, And I think the fans realise that. I also think something happened around Beargate, if that means anything to you. <laughs> we lost a lot of the toxic fan base at that point. They were done. And we said, bye, this isn't for you. Wow. I'll put the narrator cause... here to explain what is Beargate. Beargate oh, thank is, you. is where uh, your character can have sex with a druid who just so happens to be able to turn into a bear. And you can have sex with... You can also choose not to. You can, because consent (laughs) is great. That was the thing that was kind of missed. If this is happening to you, it's because you chose the option at least three different times and said, no, really, I'd quite (laughs) like to do this. And, you know, the the unofficial slug line of Baldur's Gate 3 is fuck around and find out. (laughs) That is, oh, God. I'm going to draw that now. Actions have consequences. (laughs) Who would have known? My character has only fucked one of the characters so far, and it's not Karlak, because I haven't figured out. I just, there's puzzles. And then I discovered that, well, it allows polyamory. The person that I chose does not. So I now, I had to to do the very scary breakup moment, which was terrifying. It's real, doesn't it? And you're sitting there going, Lizelle would fucking kill me. (laughs) Lizelle would kill my character. And then she can actually kill me. So let's not. Let's please don't be that pissed off that you're gonna backstab me or or something at some point during the next twenty hours of battling and just be like, nah, I'm just pissed off at you today. Take an arrow in the back. Yeah, this I is when games survive. get too real, you know. <laughs> I am still waiting for the comeback on that set of decisions, mm. which will impact on my next set of decisions mm. that I can make. <laughs> Yes. I love the way you're like, mm, I know parts of the script that you don't. It, it's not like, remember, I have recorded every single iteration of my character. Yeah, <laughs> quite aware of the possibilities. Yeah. <laughs> they thought about it. It's not like Mass Effect 2, where you can just dump someone immediately afterwards and the game forgets you've done it and you just move around the ship like Captain Kirk in the way that I played it. Just so I could get away with it. You can't do that in BG3. Someone is keeping score. I mean, everyone can hear you. (laughs) You're in a camp. Right next to each other. It's just tense. It's embarrassing. Exactly. (laughs) There's a little room, but nobody seems to go to it. I've got to teach a class on this. I've got to do this now. I've just realized. We could all die tomorrow, right? We've got these tadpoles. We've got three days left. Let's go. Well, that sense is quite real. I remember watching a really cool documentary on a gay survivors of the Holocaust. And there was this lovely guy who I think he was on the French German border. And he would talk about being on the trains during a bombing raid. And he was like, the moment the bombing raid started and we were above ground trapped on this train, he was like, there were no rules. You would just fuck anyone because you just wanted that connection and the moment it stopped and the moment you survived, nobody spoke about it. But he was like, it was just one of those things of there is that need for human connection in those moments that mm. people just ignore or look past or don't even consider that this happens 
all the time in all of these intense situations because everybody just needs a moment of human connection. And it follows, I think, was the lives of three or four gay men who survived that really intense period. Mm. And what happened afterwards, because for most of them, you get out of the camp or you get out of that situation and it's still not legal to be gay and you're now known to be gay and life doesn't change very much and it's pretty shitty. This is why I watch documentaries, you see, because I think fiction misses all sorts of things, particularly about human behaviour under stress, which is, you know, a lot of the, you know, a lot of drama is about conflict. And so rather than looking at other dramas about conflict, why don't we look at real life situations and and I'm fascinated by you know, human capacities for all sorts of extreme behavior but also yeah these stories too so yeah i i, I personally would love <laughs> a link to that put no, it in show notes show notes there's there's something about the the mundane so my weird little novel that i've written is really a mundane relationship that little blurb is supposed to be funny and to get you into it but it's about two women who meet and have a relationship and try to make it work across class in london and just happen to be in a kinky relationship and that's it and it's it's i'm interested in the little things the things i talking about class in the uk you do realize that's actually quite controversial it's the one intersection no one wants to talk about hence my i've left london yes you had to haven't you after writing this incendiary novel (laughs) it wasn't being trans no no (laughs) no 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 you're talking about class divide (laughs) but we talked about this with joe parslow a little bit of a working class kid is often told that they're cheeky for asking for something. A middle class kid is told if you don't ask, you don't get. And it really colors a lot of people's behaviors. And if you don't know, you don't know to look for it. And if you know to look for it, you can give people the right encouragement. But all of the coaching in that that I see assumes you come from a middle class background of constantly telling you to ask. Whereas if you've always been told you're cheeky for asking or you've had first wait for everyone else to have theirs before you ask for seconds and things like that are really culturally inbuilt and they're shibboleths that we don't know about and if you don't know you can't help people around them right yeah i see it a lot in tech but i think it must also happen a lot in arts and artistic things because if you don't know to go up and talk to somebody and to ask for something if you're nervous about that you don't get that extra thing yeah whereas yeah, and I think that's a really big mindset in the class divide that people oh, don't yeah. don't know and don't think about. And and you know, I felt the first time I London born and bred, I went to my drama school in London and drama and I've been to university as well and survived. And uh, <laughs> drama school was the first time where everything I said was rubbing people up the wrong way and I and it's only it's the only time that that's ever happened. And there was a particular demographic that was very overrepresented there and they're British people too. And I, it was like being an alien. I was just everything I said. It was, it was I don't really do subtext. You might realize that some of us are cast to type, you know, and quite blunt. I'm a child of immigrants, right? We just say what we mean. And so, every, you know, I'm, I, there is no hidden meaning. I'm telling you, I'm also not being rude. I'm not intending to be rude. I'm just being clear. So there's this, it is constantly being mistranslated and punished for it. And no wonder people aren't asking because they've been made to feel unwelcome all their lives and they're very lucky to be there in the first place. I was the first child in our family to finish high school. Mm -hmm. 
let alone go to university. So there is a real, mm. you're always the first doing something. I was the first out non-binary person that ThoughtWorks employed that they actually had to figure out pronouns around and eight years did. ago. They did, which was great. But eight years ago, they didn't even know how to ask about pronouns. Sure. They knew that they existed and they knew what mine might be, but they didn't know how to ask me. Mm. And that constant being first in the room and not knowing the adjustments that you can ask for, but also everyone not knowing the adjustments they need to make for your bluntness because you're neurospicy mm. or you are told don't ask for stuff. So you just try to work with what you're given and you mm. don't ask for the help that everyone else gets. And you yes. just assume that you and should be doing that without it. As well. That's yeah. my favourite. <laughs> Like, we're just different. We've got different communication styles. That's all it is. Yeah, it's yeah. it's a weird old world. I mean, it sounds like you've come through it great. Do you know what, what's weird is because in that From Queer to Eternity podcast, which you sort of noticed me and I was talking about finding the vocabulary of gender through going to tech events. And uh, we've talked about the fact that I used to go to ThoughtWorks events in London. So, yeah, absolutely contributed to me now knowing what to call I'm myself. So. But it's so interesting with these environments. I never in a million years going through <laughs> being dirt poor in London and trying desperately to be a, some sort of actor, performer, and um, that I would end up in a university that actually wanted me there and uh, not being the only trans in the department. Yay! And it's because I'm in a gay department. I have two non-binary co-workers, uh, mm-hmm. several gay co-workers, and it's wonderful. It's the very first time yep. in my life I've been not the only one in the village. And it's been remarkable to yep. find. And I mean, I always loved games. I grew up, it was my escape, right? Being queer and of a certain age <laughs> where that there was no language for that and certainly yep. no uh, tolerance for it. So the only place I could escape into were were games. And then I found a weird little way to that environment through storytelling mm. creating characters mm. um digital art which is how i got into it and then consultancy <laughs> i was a consultant telling people like how to put trans themes into their games and um that's a useful kind of consultant i was not I a liked it. don't don't <laughs> get it don't get it now. <laughs> any game company please do feel free to invite me to do yes, that i don't do. get to do it anywhere near as much as i want to <laughs> but that was really surprising yeah. and then yeah recent games and this is one of the things that we wanted to talk about uh, because I'm a huge fan of Baldur's Gate 3 and I've loved it and all my students are too can't shut up about it and one of the things that I really recognized is the exceptional representation of characters and their nuanced mm. um, characteristics so much so that the one thing that I've noticed everywhere I've gone in any pocket of queer life that I've been in and non-queer life is tremendous amount of recognition and not least for Carlac. And so it was wonderful. You kind of came across my radar and then I saw you deliver this wonderful um, podcast, which everyone should check out as a sort of part one to this, I think, in which you talk about being openly non-binary as an actor Mm. for the first time. And you were kind enough to come and talk to us about that. So I wondered if you want to talk about absolutely I've been writing notes because there's so many things to cover with that it's quite a journey so in terms of like the representation in games and again finding yourself with friendly faces that I don't know if you've read the Yuki report 
So that's the UK. Yeah. So um, 20% of people surveyed in that report are LGBTQ plus. That's massive. And I have a theory that it is through playing uh, is these very strong narrative games in a such a safe environment to explore that. I know one. I personally know one person who realised that he was bisexual in a romance in Dragon Age because <laughs> he went, oh, oh, OK, that's me. He <laughs> just absolutely recognised himself. And because ironically, in, in From Queer to Eternity, which is the podcast you're talking about, I discovered I was non-binary through playing a character who used they them pronouns in Torchwood, which is a queer utopia. <laughs> Most people in in that game, in that in that uh, in the TV, certainly in the TV show and, and in the audio that's continued with Big Finish, it's majority queer characters. It's just this other wonderful world. So no one ever got my character's pronouns wrong. It was never questioned. So I felt really comfortable, and it was one of those things where I, you know, I used to call it the non-binary uniform. There was a soft butch kind of look, and I wasn't that. And I was going, well, obviously I'm not that that's the gender not feeling like a girl feeling a little bit out of place and a bit of a fraud actually I'm just waiting for someone to work this out and kick me out of the room but obviously I'm not that because I don't look like yeah so it was through actually playing the character and if people have played them video games it was also yeah my in myself through role-playing this character that I discovered that so isn't that an incredible part of the art form to be able to discover that the game is sex positive but the queerness and sexuality is all based around consent which is great because he had so much of it to record. It was amazing that, you know, you do these dialogue trees, right? So you go down one path and then you've got a version where if, so you might start, you're in love with the character, then you go back to the start, that neutral at the beginning of the conversation, then you go again. And this time you're friendly, you're not friends. It's, it's sort of neutral. Then you'll have buddies and then you'll have an enemy and, and you have to go through all of that. And there's sort of versions of each response. And with the romances, certainly with Carl I can't speak for anyone else's because I didn't record all the iterations of those conversations. But at any point, you can stop and say, actually, I'd rather not. And you are not punished. You are not judged. And I don't think necessarily the relationship ends. It's not a finality. So they've really thought about that. Within my own streams, I was talking about exactly this and someone popped up in the chat saying that they're ace. And they felt really comfortable. And I just thought of all this that are really underrepresented, you know, and in the horny game. <laughs> that they feel represented it just absolutely warms my heart and it's yeah it's absolutely something that was built in if the numbers are anything like the yuki stats then yeah you've got a very queer group of game makers uh, that's intentional and it's only gonna get gayer <laughs> yeah, it is it really is it's so amazing to hear you say that the research i'm doing finally for my phd thank you jay I started one in gender studies and it just didn't take. I was too poor and I couldn't possibly finish it. So I just didn't. And then uh, I came back and they convinced me to try to do it in games. And it's about this idea that if you can role play in a safer environment, literally in role playing games, who you would like to be or who you feel you might be or who you could imagine you are, you might have a transformative experience mm. so much so that our little universities created this a group called the Transformative Play Initiative, very grand title for literally studying how role-playing games can do this and how you might design it on purpose to let Wow, love it. I was literally at a, a conference right before I came here. We, mm. were, we were kickstarting a big, oh, we got EU money to do this. I don't know. Yeah. Oh, how on earth? Whoa. It wasn't me. P.S. I didn't, I was not in charge of getting that money. But we got it and we're going to use it. To actually, oh, congrats. Actually, but we're going to use it. We're going purposes. to fully facilitate that money in a very good way, I think. Yeah, it's what I got from that. Yeah. Yeah. But I mean, I had the same experience when I was 
young. I shouldn't like I'm gonna date myself. I played Final Fantasy VII when it came out, and I was in England. I was at a British school, and when I tell this story in Sweden, I say, you know, the the idea of a British school that you just got in your head—that's the school. That's it. Oh wow, bless right? you. Yeah, I know. But I was just <laughs> like, that's the school I went to. And it was incredibly so, you know, when I do stand up, I say, oh, you know, it's full of repression and, uh, you know, bad haircuts and, and, and awful clothing. And the only refuge I had was this game where I was playing this mercenary who runs around with a giant sword and it's very butch. And then at one point has to wear a fabulous dress. To I tell to, you that that to... mission is legendary. I, I wrote <laughs> an article. About it. it really is. Yeah. But, wrote... Sorry, please yeah. go on. No, I wrote a whole article for this. And I'm writing another with a fabulous uh, Iranian um, writer who's had exactly the same experience at exactly the same game hmm. in Iran while I was doing it in wow. the UK. And it's about, we both had the same feeling of like, oh my God, this could be me. Mm-hmm. Learning that through a game. In that case, it was kind of unintentional, I think, for the designers. Yeah. To see a game like Baldur's Gate 3 20 odd years later 25 I guess at this point do so overtly is wonderful Mm. and so encouraging at a time when things are not encouraging yeah I'm so happy and I'm so happy your character got the kind of reaction it did to go on that I was so surprised because from a writing standpoint I'll quote Adam Smith who's one of the the main chess masters and put us all together is that she was written to be loved he said, we knew what we'd done with the early access. They were edgelords. We were going to put in someone else who looks really scary, who's got a really dark past, and you are going to fall in love with her. And I took one look at the model and went, oh, great, the sapphics get someone. And I knew, I knew the women who love women would adore her. And I said it in a couple of interviews, I'll say it again. When we did the romance scenes, instead of centering an imagined male player, I centered an imagined sapphic player just to give them something. Every time there's a chance, you're like, oh, Jack in Mass Effect, why? Why did you make her look like a lesbian? She doesn't like women. Why? Queer coded for our society, not as an alien. (laughs) Just like, she looks like a lesbian now. Like, why? Yeah. So let's not fuck that up, Sam. (laughs) You're going to go for that. So the surprise was, cishet dudes were into it too. And I've spent a whole career being told that my gender presentation... It's not what the cishet dudes like, and therefore you will not be existing in my piece of media because they wouldn't. I've never had any trouble in that department, but I don't, you know, exist. So, it, yeah, it's been incredibly affirming, not just, yeah, in terms of the breadth that just like either people are in love with her or they want to fight alongside her. And that's just, that's incredible. What a gift of a role to play. And any time there was any sort of flaw, she's quite immature in relationships, which is linked to the fact you know that she was sold into slavery as a sort of late teens early 20s never really had those relationships probably put all that life on hold and became the person in hell and now she's out and she just wants to pretend that's not happened because that will be fine and go straight back to being what 18 or the that is the age of majority in my head so in my country 18 the fact that there is all that in there and people have connected to her so i mean we're just talking about like lgbtq stuff but there are all other sorts of intersections with people who've connected with her, which I wasn't expecting. I mean, my job, the, first of all, the writing was amazing, right? Then you can't do anything with crap writing. But my job is to play it as authentically as possible, right? That's it. And that's what I did my best to do. 
And we had amazing directors who are eyes and ears because um, you're getting things out of order and out of context a lot of the time. And they've directed all the other actors in the equivalent scene so they can give you more of a clue than you'd work out yourself. For her to appeal to so many people. But like I was saying to you, that people with all sorts of experiences are coming to me and saying, you helped me realise, not only just realise about myself, but you've helped me heal. And that's not a word I ever thought I'd hear in this career. <laughs> and yeah, there's all sorts going on with awards season and all that. And you can get caught up in that. It means fucking nothing. This means everything, right? You know, from people getting out of bad relationships to soldiers with PTSD during that scene where she has yeah the, the catharsis have written to me and said that triggered my catharsis thank you and i'm going, ah, ah, and passing not, that on please no spoilers if you if, if there's a spoiler moment please give me a moment because i've only just found the grim forge i struggle to navigate so i'm not a video game native so a lot of my exploration of who i was was done with a lovely group of friends most mm-hmm. of whom are still around as friends with me who supported me through active suicide attempts we would play Dungeons and Dragons together and we'd play Crusaders of the Dark Savant and some of the old Amiga. I am aging myself. I'm 54. So when the games that I'm talking about are over 30 years old. And you're a gamer who's 54 because there are yeah. people listening who don't think that person exists. So Absolutely. And I'm a non-binary yeah. person who's 54, who's employed and housed and relatively sane. All of those <laughs> things exist. And my friends looking back, because I've got a box of all of the character sheets of all of my characters and looking back at them, you can see the stuff that I was exploring mm. all the time, but I couldn't. And mm. I didn't get to come out due to reasons until I was in my mid twenties. Mm-hmm. So this part of me going, Oh my God, I now want to play more with Kalak because she's got that thing that I had of that stunted emotional growth. Mm-hmm. Um, and just not getting relationships the yeah. same way that other people who are yeah. contemporary in your age do. Yeah. So I still feel like I'm like in my mid-20s when it comes Catching to relationships. Up. Yeah. Because I've got some of that experience of relationships, but I haven't done some of the exploration. Mm-hmm. It took me ages to figure stuff out. It takes me a long time because of some of the stuff that went on during my teens and that and a lot of the mental health stuff. It takes me a long time to figure out a lot of those relationship pieces sure. because it might be on your list. You might do the occasional hookup or something like that, but they're not on the top of your list of things to sort out when you're trying to sort out your mental health and get into a space where you can exist in the world and not be constantly Mm self-destructive, trying to destroy yourself. So I am so looking forward to finding out more about Kalak's story and really getting into it because it sounds so interesting, but I'm also determined to fuck everybody in the camp. You're pretty Kalaki. You can play Origin, right? And they said, like, oh, who are you going to romance? And I'm like, Kolak's not fussed. If if you're not, <laughs> it, look, as long as, if you can fight and you're not evil, she's going to go for it. She's going to go She's been in hell, literal hell. She's over the moon about <laughs> that. I won't get too specific, but, you know, we've got people with all sorts of very, very challenging things they are dealing with who have found acceptance because one of Kolak's themes is acceptance. I won't say any more about that, but, but enough people have got something out of that. And that, again, means so much to me in something that's a supposed fantasy setting, in something that in a setting which is very often a white male power fantasy, you can explore that in the game. Again, actions have consequences, is all I'm <laughs> saying. It's very 
subversive in that way. But in terms of, I mean, you know, Josephine, you were asking me about what I had in, in common with Carla, because I keep sort of alluding to it and not saying exactly what that is. Obviously, you're seeing the chaotic, good stroke neutral energy <laughs> coming off, but she's about found family, right? That's the first thing she wants to do is find good people and keep them close and she will get very protective with them. And isn't that an experience we all have, right? When we have the sort of maybe hellish kind of families we have escaped and found our people and kept them close and created our own families. I mean, that's so, yeah, that's very much that. And then we've got her perseverance as well. I, it's taken me this long. I graduated from drama school 2009 to get a big role like this. <laughs> perseverance is there. And thank you. <laughs> God, I was doing a big old boast list of all the people I've been trusted to work with in audio and the fact that no one outside of audio cared. <laughs> no, but that's this fallacy with acting. Like I had a few big, I had a, two or three big jobs. Yeah. And then it was like, no, but I don't have any money. <laughs> oh, oh, well, there's that. And I'm being very open about that. You know, there's, um, in, in the UK, there's a 98% podcast. Um, It's by two actors based on the figure that 98% of British actors earn less than £20,000 a year from acting alone. They may be very rich and can live on 20000 or more likely they're doing other jobs. And then because of our class system, we don't talk about it. We don't admit it's seen as a failure. It's just there isn't enough work. And there's a lot of very good people in the industry mm. trying mm. to fight to be in that 1% or 2%. To get deeper into Karlak a little bit, I've been through some gnarly shit too. Not literal hell, but I've been through that. There's a void inside of her. Jung would have called that a shadow self. I'm friends now with my shadow self because unlike Faerun, we have therapy. So <laughs> that's what Karlak needs. Karlak is a stoic, which is wonderful when you're trying not to suffer on the surface. But as you know, the body keeps the score. There's literally a, a book about that. That's what it's called. It's amazing. If you haven't listened to it, listeners, please do. So there's all that in there and it was all very available to me and sort of people who don't act a bit surprised they, they think I, I'd have done method which would be a very bad idea with Carlac or there was some sort of ramp up and it's no I was just there's a certain big scene in there where she really gets to let rip emotionally and it was I was ready just ready to go it's, it's the living circumstances of this character who was not expecting to face that void you know and for me it was nameless it was literally the worst thing let's not name it let's hide that and so when the words are spilling out of her mouth and she is naming it for the first time very overwhelming we got it in a couple of takes i just made sure i enunciated as hard as i can because in real life when you cry you're... <laughs> you will be doing another take so <laughs> let's let's get the consonants so we don't have to do this again so it's all there and i think particularly with her so despite what she looks like she's so human and relatable and i didn't fuck it up thank god <laughs> you really did um, that that scene i have seen that and it it was because I have PTSD and mine was diagnosed. So yeah, I've got a piece of paper that says I got it. And it resonated on a profound level mm. to, to see that. And I know how much that has been true for so many people. And I could intellectualize it because that's kind of what I do obsessively. That's I just love to do that. Uh, you mentioned Jung and Shadow Cells. And I have so a, I dropped that in there just for you. I have a, oh, thank you. So very much. I'm so cheerful. I have a colleague who's going to love that. I'm going to pass this along. That's what she does. She studies role playing and Jung and Shadow. And I mean, you know, it's it's D and D. It's archetypes, right? Exactly. It's fantasy. It's larger than life. Yeah. So you've got a load of you know um, theatre trained actors in it because we'll we'll go for it. You know, 
But yeah, but it's, and we can intellectualize it as much as, and we did, I wrote you a list of questions and, and prompts, and I will love to go through and as many of them as you want to. But the sure. truth is, it's, it's emotive. Yeah. And profound. And to see that represented well, and to see it openly from the actor who did it, the writing that inspired it, and the opportunity to see that in a medium that has meant so much to me, that has meant my coming out, mm. was deeply moving. It made me cry. That scene really, really did. And it made me cry oh, too. I can only imagine. Because it's, <laughs> yeah, that empty piece, like, I got to breathe into that right now. That was incredible. And um, I'm so happy that you got to do that. And so happy you shared it with us like this here as well. Because so happy people have played long enough with my character that they've discovered it. Because of course, before you know, these are uh, there was an arms race at the beginning to get the entire game up on YouTube first two weeks, which only benefited the actors because we saw how it all went together. But um, people are actually reaching it organically at the moment. They're actually coming up to it in the last month or so I've really I've had a lot and a lot of analysis actually people are really piecing her together you were talking about emotion versus intellectualizing mm -hmm. I kind of had to because so much is subtext with her if I played the so-called golden retriever which is the internet's term of choice with her she's a comedy <laughs> character and then when we do get onto the d it just doesn't land you'll just be like who's that so I did the opposite Obviously, there were a lot of new directors coming in. They don't all know the character. They're not expected to. I become the expert on, on the character. And um, I'd say, yeah, OK, this sounds a bit really actually quite silly and over the top. It comes from trauma, right? So her going, you know, I want to see the circus is I'm going to die tomorrow. <laughs> you know? that, that's where that comes from. And, is you know, there's a bit of a child in that. But there's a desperation in her. She's very aware of of the short term, particularly with the tadpoles, that doesn't spoil anything, Doctor J. But they they do they have a oh, limited no, I'm playing time. The tadpoles. I like the tadpoles. <laughs> they have a limited time potentially, and she's absolutely gonna go for it. Talk about a bucket list, right? You know, she <laughs> she's gonna do every item on the bucket list at the same time. Just <laughs> where the ADHD comes in with her, but um, the amount of trans women that have really enjoyed this character, which is great because being non-binary myself, at least I feel I have that connection as a, as a sibling on the rainbow that I can talk to that I do get on cameo I get lots of trans women wanting to, her sass how do I go out in the world and go fuck you and it's like well she's seven foot tall and she's allowed to hit things so but also you're you're not expected to do that what I want is for you to live your authentic life and I know you've done the work because I know a bit about the process of getting uh, recognized as trans you've actually done the work you're okay you are in an oppressive environment it's the environment. It's not you. Find your people if you can. I sound really glib, but that's that's kind of where I'm going, you know, with that. And I'm glad that me and my experience and my identity can help other people, because otherwise I'd be so out of my depth. I wouldn't understand. But it's interesting when you mentioned PTSD. I haven't so far, and this may not be true, but I haven't so far had anyone say that I've triggered them in a, in a negative way. So far, it's been people saying it's a very positive experience, which is also, again, a testament to the writing trauma PTSD is not my area of expertise I like to say thankfully it's not my area of personal experience but again if I've managed to um put something like that positive in the world and as I said help them heal or help them realize that there may be more work to be done it, again what a gift and incredible writer who obviously knew what she was doing the wonderful Sarah Bayliss in uh, in Dublin right now I was going to say somebody with complex PTSD who's still figuring out some of the triggering. One of the advantages of playing it in a game is just being able to kind of put it down mm -hmm. and walk away from it and mm -hmm. go, oh, oh, this has brought up something. 
let me go and spend a couple of hours pondering that and think about it before I come back to mm-hmm. finishing off the puzzle or finishing off something. It gives you a chance to step in and out, which mm. you don't get in the real world when you're having to try and deal with being triggered and deal with the panic that builds up and just mm. going, because you can't go, whoa, time out. Can I go and play with Fred, the cat, or do something or just walk away from this for two or three days? So the other thing that I was going to say is and right at the start of this podcast, there's a whole thing about me working with Josephine, but for me, Skyrim was the only game because it was a game that allowed me to imagine and explore and build a character who I would go and change my character in Skyrim at various points, change their appearance and things like that to reflect where I was at inside my head of how I would appear and things like that. I'm still on my first run. I'm starting to build a co-op playable character so I can play with some friends and try and understand having a group of us go around and solve it together because you can't can't do that with Skyrim. And one of the things that I used to love of playing Crusaders of the Dark Savant, we would co-op play them. So there'd be one computer with one person playing it. It was it was like pairing and a whole pile of people sat around behind going, have you tried this option? Have you thought of this option? Because mm. we'd all co-op solve the puzzles. I was actually going to say that you're talking about it. Um, You know, obviously it's immersive because video games and mocap mm. and all that. But I do wonder if, if it's such a safe place because it's an interactive medium. I know, of course, people find themselves in comics and movies and all the rest. And it's obviously much, a much more passive experience. Can Can either of you speak to that maybe? I can, as a gigantic nerd who studied, literally, this is my Please job. Please do then. <laughs> okay, so, <laughs> God, Jay, I haven't done this in a while. This is where we do my theory. Jay, well, did, I predicted did... there will be PhDs on, on, on yeah, yeah, healthy um, sexual relationships and, 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 yeah. The research I was doing, there is theory about this. The first being alibi. The game provides you an alibi to mm-hmm. do the things that you wouldn't be allowed to do anywhere else. So there's that. The other thing is it provides a safer container, mm-hmm. not a safe container, because no such thing as a safe space, sadly, as much as I wish there were and queer spaces I've been, I felt most safe in are always going to be because we live in a terrible environment, but it's a safer container. It has boundaries, mm-hmm. right? And within that container, you get to be recognized for who you are, which if you study psychology, you know, is the absolute base necessity for being secure in yourself Mm. having someone just reckon say you're the correct pronoun call you by your name not diminish you for who you are and then there are other concepts like bleed which is this idea of like having an experience in a game that bleeds out into everyday life or you can bleed in you like you bring yourself into a game Mm -hmm. and if you bring yourself into the game if you do something you couldn't imagine doing in the game maybe now you can imagine doing it outside the game right it's that sort of notion and then there's Mm. more terms and and theory about it all of which trying to describe this very special experience that I know so many people and I have the best job I have these students come in who want to learn how to make games and I get to say to them every time like I bet you've played a game that's changed your life right and I can probably tell you at least some of the ways that it has and you're going to tell me the rest yeah. And I'm really excited for that. And those are some of the actual mm. like theoretical reasons that, that we're, we're working on trying to do it. And then try to design for that. How can you design for the right amount of alibi? How do you design for bleed? How do you design to make a container safer? And the other big thing is community. Mm. Because games have communities around them, 
Jay, you were just saying, the people you were around, right? When I was uh, in that British school, we tried to play Dungeons and Dragons. I say try because we had no idea what we were doing. It's and the rules hard. were the rules were bonkers. It was like, it, yeah, they still are, but yeah. <laughs> we played the rules all wrong, I've no doubt. I got to make a character. And I yeah. got to make this character. And the funny thing about her was, I wrote about it in this paper about this, uh, is this because I couldn't help myself. I was like, I can't write mm. about this without exposing myself. So let's just not bother. And this character was very boring <laughs> for a Dungeons and Dragons character. She was a human. Thank God. Everyone was a warrior. Backstory. Yeah, she like was a, a regular person. Oh, yeah, she was... might just be you. Yeah. <laughs> oh, did you know? Yeah, she had brown hair and was sort of my height and brown eyes and, and didn't really want to get into too much trouble. <laughs> Jesus Christ, like paging Dr. Freud. Yeah. So, but there is a quality to these things that as an academic, I'm trying to study as a designer, I'm trying to encourage mm. people to make. And when I mm. see it and I most certainly see it in Baldur's Gate 3 and I'm so, absolutely saw it in Carlac. To, to answer as quickly as I can to all that amazing stuff you said, everything, alibi, bleeds, safety, that's why I'm an actor. I, I found that in theatre. The, the first exercise you do at drama school is called uh, Magic Space. It's non-verbal. It's all very imbued and it is, you know, our ritual and it's silly and whatever, but it clears the space of evil. You know, it's, it's a ritual. You clear it and you respect that and the actor goes in an instruction might be whispered in their ear like you're in prison you are not allowed to say a word and you have to embody that in that's in that space embody i guess a prisoner if that's what you're playing and then then people would guess that's the first exercise but we imbue that space with safety and this is a place to make mistakes and you won't be judged alibi is quite obvious bleed is obvious when i played or and realized that was not binary and then communities finally dropped in with all the wonderful devs that I meet I go to so many meetups and talks because I enjoy it and you know you do it long enough you're not networking you're seeing old friends and you're welcoming new people and across disciplines everyone's so welcoming and lovely and you're not weak or stupid or taken advantage of for doing so so that's my thing and you know now I've got a bit of a platform I'm going to be doing a little bit more of that and I'm very much looking forward to that so yeah no that's really really interesting what you said because you've just told me why I perform so anyway <laughs> and there's so much joy in it and I enjoy it so much and then when I'm not doing it I really miss it because that's taken away and now you've also given me options if I'm out of work I could maybe play a role-playing game if I need that outlet you know I came um, through acting to this job like yeah. I was an actor well it was cabaret because uh, I think I heard that you talk I know I, I think I heard you talking about this in uh, in one of the maybe the I've just seen there. cabaret hadn't I yeah, I was yeah. Like, yeah and I was just like <laughs> You know, queer actors, if you're out, which I was, and I couldn't help myself because <laughs> there wasn't much choice. And I was like, well, I'm not going to be a cabaret actor. And then the joy of being able to express and embody things on that stage. Yeah. I didn't start out learning to make games like these students I now meet. They're the anomaly to me. Every other person in games I know came from some other mm. weird angle. And so many of them came through theater. And so many of them came through screenwriting or writing for plays or literature. Mm -hmm. Because we're all, I think, genuinely looking for that thing. And in games, it's called the magic circle. Mm. Same idea. It's called the magic circle. And mm -hmm. it's about this boundary of like, within this, you get to. The contract. And, and yeah, like you said, you can play the most grotesque person on stage. And you're getting all that ugliness out of your system. And the audience don't know. And they don't care. <laughs> it's very safe. 
it's cathartic you know it's so you know when I was doing so-called tough scenes in I loved it in Borders Gate I go I get to do this and there are no consequences for me and you get that high you get that runner's high afterwards I'm gonna ask you another question now how you both got on with character creation I mean traditionally we all spend hours in it but as you know there are certain options that might appeal to you I was wondering I was playing a paper-based D&D mm-hmm. character called Call Me Cal and they were a dragonborn cleric my first instinct was just to recreate them and then being able to do them as explicitly non-binary and play around with the body types. That was amazing. And I did close off, close on, close off, close on (laughs) just to get the look that I wanted. And then when I got to see them have sex, I was like, Oh, that's a great ass. I'm getting back into personal training and trying to figure out how to get some, some strength back in my leg and do my personal trainer has me doing 60 squats as a warm up. How is it like being called they them in the game? It feels so good. I enjoy it. And yeah. it just feels normal. In Skyrim, I could never get that. I always had to be right. a gender. No matter how fucked up my build was, yeah. it's always a stealth archer. No matter how fucked up my build was, I had to always be one gender or the other. When I started at ThoughtWorks, I used to use she, they. I wanted to be they, but I was using she for everybody else. And it took a couple of years of a safe mm-hmm. space of people going, it's okay. It's okay to say what you want, to tell us what you need. And I was like, I don't think she works. Could we just go with they? And everyone's like, that's completely fine. Oh, yeah. We'll use they for you all the time. Um, But the first podcast of this talks about how pronouns are situational because I am often she in the drag scene because everybody that I'm hanging around is she. And yes, I'm not going to repeat that. Just go listen to the first episode and you'll hear the very filthy tale about popping candy. Oh, fabulous. <laughs> I'll, I'll stay here and finish this. And then, yeah. I'll, yeah, I'll, yeah, I'll, absolutely. Great there. Yeah, yeah. Um, no, but I get it. And again, it's safe space, isn't it? It's playing yeah. and it's yeah. your choice. It's yeah. not being inflicted on you. And the one that I'm building for the co-op play, I'm going for possibly, uh, so Call Me Cal is very Kalaki, very good-natured, kind, wants the best of every, mm. best intentions all the way through. I might be playing a character who's a little less like that might be oh, you playing can play some... dark lack it's there she just doesn't want anyone to know all the shit she got to in hell by <laughs> <laughs> origin you get to hear all of that it's, it's oh spicy ooh. stuff yeah oh oh because i'm playing the best is it what is it josephine you remember the mysterious dark thing urge. the dark urge as a drow are you a a dark oh drow darker no wonder they're like that right because the world treats you like shit for being a drow anyway so you know they're just a product of their society yeah yeah so are you a good dark urge are you one that's resisting or are you leaning right into that oh no i think i'm going to lean into it because 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 the friends i'm playing with it's like it's going to be well just friends one of them and it's just like let's play something that's so unlike me what i love about even all of these things where you get to play the villain and it's so wonderful, even when you're playing that drow dark urge, there's still an actual reason of how they are and who they are. And what I thought was so interesting, Sam, you sent me that wonderful blog about Carlac being imperfect, that her background is not perfect at all. God oh, no. no. I mean, she's done some nasty shit. Really and, nasty she is, shit. Yeah. and she's got a real wonky moral compass. But it still, makes still because she's still, still right. She's still throwing herself into yeah. odd relationships head yeah. first. Yeah. <laughs> she is trying, yeah. and she's going to go out. She's going to go out as a hero. You know that's yeah. her thing. 
but yeah no this is a blog post called that Carlac is not a good girl <laughs> I think yeah, it was called I'll try and, find and it. it was a full-on uh literary analysis of a character and they've put it together chronologically and it absolutely makes sense and that's why I played it like that because I got to have those conversations but like to make it relatable but even then it's not my experience is I thought of the worst supermax prison in the US right and the sort of people that end up in there and forget the gender and all that she's seven foot tall <laughs> she can chuck people around you know you've got the fact of you know this isn't a secret this is on the the website for the game is that she worked for someone who sold her to hell as a slave she was his bodyguard and probably a bit more and you'll meet someone who explains exactly what they used to get up to and you know there's a bit of backstory about how she's a bit of a wrong and there were no parents around to rein her in and she gets very angry if you put a book in front of her. So probably dropped out of school as well. That's my headcanon. You know, that's so you all sort of fell in and then was, you know, just think again of really hardcore gangs where you are in for life kind of thing. You've got the tattoos on your face and you're never going to do anything else. That was the reality. She got thrown under the bus for someone else, went to prison for 100 years, suddenly got a plea deal after 100. I went, fuck this. I'm changing my life. I'm starting again. So, of course, you would never tell anyone all the mad shit you got up to in prison because you, you're going to just do what you have to do to survive. And the one thing that, again, people have sort of discovered these last couple of weeks, these things called soul coins, and it's something only Carlac can use. And um, again, not wanting to go too into it, it's just a little history with the old soul coin. It's, it's what it sounds like. Um, it's got a soul in it. <laughs> and if you use one, that soul is extinguished forever. It does not exist and I actually talked to Sven Vinka about this because there was this whole sort of debate about, was she really bad though? No, she's committed a crimes against humanity to survive in hell. So she gets to the surface, she's offered them. And then of course you can either let her, if you want to do the dark lack, let her have them. Oh, I gave <laughs> her one. Like crack to her. <laughs> I gave her one, I think, because I, I gave Gail one of the things he was asking for too. Magic shoes. Because, because Call Me Cal is, if somebody says they want something yeah. and they've got it, and I can't think of a good reason not to give it to them. Why would I not give it to them? And I had so many bloody bits of magic. Oh, just have one of them. I've got six. Everyone's got like yeah, three. Yeah, ration them out shoes. because he'll just gobble up the lot. Just don't give them all the way. He's a very greedy boy. Because I remember recording that and, and, and it was just a bit grabby, a bit like, oh, I'll look after it. Yeah. And, and having that conversation and going, okay. And then he worked out what the soul coins were. And again, the version where you don't give them to her. There's a very early origin line. Where the first time she sees it and she talks to herself she doesn't tell anyone else and she says oh this could be oh no it's a soul we don't do that anymore you know and, and she's yeah she's fighting that and you know there's a a version of uh, if you play as Carl, obviously you don't have a tav to guide her to be the boss she could go either way mm-hmm. um you can be evil Carlac. i have recorded the ending for evil Carlac. <laughs> i played it I'm going to try it. I'm, I'm actually doing it right now. Do it! I did, because when, when we were going to do this, I was like, you know what, I'm going to go and play an origin run. Because I kind of feel like, if you could think of it, you could probably do it. And there's a oh, few yeah, things I thought it. It's like, I'm pretty sure there's got to be a way I can get her with one of the characters that I just think that she would never get with, but I'm pretty sure I could... I know who that is. Yeah, I'm pretty that's sure. That's quite ride or die, isn't it? I was like, I'm going to try. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, yeah. But even then, I can see an absolute narrative reason for her doing that. Yeah. And it speaks to me as a queer person who's like, yeah, you know. Why not? Who, <laughs> I had a therapist who said, show me a queer person who doesn't have PTSD and isn't trying to therapist. She said some fucked up things. I liked her. <laughs> she was a mess too. Oh, no, no, yeah, but, yeah, yeah. But, you know, yeah. um, but one of them was that. And then she was like, yeah, because what are you going to do? And if you're in that situation and you need to survive, mm-hmm. 
what are you going to do mm. like i tried to be a, a decent human being i really yeah. do and now that i've got a like like you said you've got a little bit of a platform i have one myself i'm going to try my best to do the things that i would like to do that i wished people would do and i'm really Indeed. glad i get to talk about being trans i get to talk about trans representation in front of i get to go to gdc i just heard i'm gonna go and speak about trans representation at gdc Oh, what is GDC for those of us who are not the gaming gaming developer conference, gaming design conference? I just heard. I just got the okay, and I was like, so I'm going to go do that. And that's oh, fabulous, scaring the shit out of me. Very pleased for you. Oh, you're going to rock it. But the twenty, thirty, forty years up until that point, you know, I've lived in my squad, just co-ops, rough, queer environments where you like. Look, what are you going to do to get by? Now, we never fucked anyone over. I can say that for some yeah. truth. But I look at Carla and I go, yeah, I can see it, of course. And I love that I can see it. And I love that I can see her honest decisions. And that. Yeah, is I mean, every, everyone is, is making, especially if you are stoic or you're, you're mm-hmm. trying to live every day like it's your last, you are being very conscious of the possible consequences of your actions. And in the moment, this is why I kind of had no regrets in my life, is in the moment when I made that big decision, that was for the best in terms of what I, I understood it to be. And getting into stoicism because you're making your own life rules and then you're sticking with them. And that's, you know, f- as far as I know, it's a very unnatural inner world. It's technically a philosophy and everything, but it was discovered by themselves, you know, from Marcus Aurelius, he's the famous one who's an emperor, he's, he's pretty privileged. And then you've got Epictetus, who was a slave. And he came to the same conclusion, which is, I will not let this fucking define me. I I get to write my story. I get to react. I mean, of course, there are things that I said, hostile environments, but there is some control you have over the way you react to things. So thinking about that in techie stuff, we have the prime directive from a retro. We honestly and truly believe that everybody did the best that they could with the situation, the tasks that they had, the knowledge and the resources, which I summarized down to, because it's way too long, be kind, presume the best and empathize. And those six words, they've become like the way to deal with the world. If you're going to say something, find the kindest way of doing it. Presume the best intents of everybody. They might not be getting it right, but presume that they're trying to get it right, unless they definitively show that they're not. But they've got to go, three or four steps down that dialogue tree yeah, to show that to, they're not trying to get it right. When I'm not in the right mental health space, I've made decisions that I don't regret, but they were the right decision at the time, but my mental health really impacted on the decisions yeah. that I could make, really narrowed it down to things that may not have been completely healthy. You know, there's a reason that I have a wrecked body because I ran on cortisol for 40 something years while trying to destroy myself. So under so much stress, Mm. so much reaction to the world, Mm. so much panic all the time, you don't recover from that overnight. You've got to look back and go, be kind to that person and understand what's going on and see that in other people and empathize. And I want to change the world so nobody else has to go through the same thing because the fact that there are kids still going through the same thing is the part that just makes it so sad, Mm -hmm. makes it so horrible. You used to have to search Facebook and the internet to see those sort of videos that are on my Twitter feed every day. And personally, I work for human rights organisations. You can guess what my views are. It's it's not about running away. It's about not traumatising myself. There's literally nothing I can do. The more Mm. I consume of this, the worse I'm making it, the more I feel helpless and angry and impotent. And obviously I'm clicking things and someone gets money for it. And that's essentially why it's there. 
But what's been really fortunate in terms of timing is this community has come up and people are finding each other's art. There's obviously music and, and just the playthroughs and even the fan fiction isn't completely filthy. Some of it's very well written. But despite the fantasy setting, people are exploring very real things that you sort of don't see in, in our media. You've made me think of, um, I had a perfectionist problem and I was also holding people to the same standards as me. So I wasn't being that kind. I did something called self-compassion therapy and I found that really useful. And it's something I, I will recommend to everyone. It so helps me when you have that sort of instant rage moment at someone else and then you totally go, look, they're going through something let them be it's okay you know and that it actually takes practice and um you have to I had to meditate and I thought of Tories it was horrible I had to be empathetic towards it and that was that was too far but you know I think it was pretty Patel I think I was trying to have empathy for her and I was like oh, this, this is beyond what I'm sure you meant in this exercise okay, but even just doing that allowed the whole point of it is to have empathy for me yeah. and and so by stretching myself that far I could actually allow myself a break and be useful to others and be kind and be there for them therapy's great therapy's great listeners if you can afford it go to therapy agreed they give you advice <laughs> i know right Fuck. Brilliant. <laughs> one of the things that i thought was really beautiful in the uh the podcast that you mentioned i keep forgetting the name i apologize from queer to eternity oh, because in that podcast it's from a couple of years ago i want to yeah, say yeah just in that moment you would openly spoken about being a non-binary actor and one of the things you said in that podcast was that you wanted to be of service in this way that you just described I hope it's not too personal to ask how do you feel now a couple of years on I mean I got to play Karlak as non-binary no one stopped me literally no one went oh that's a bit x or and in Faerun as you know apart from the drow it's pretty non-gendered there's no expectations, there's no real gender, or not that I experienced. So it was incredibly liberating. It may well have been why I was initially put up for that role, because they were finding it hard to cast. And I do wonder if they just needed someone with a bit of everything. <laughs> Who could be mask and femme or whatever you want to, just whatever, yeah, however that comes out. I was invited to talk about after with um, lovely David Menkin about LGBTQ representation games. And it was more industry facing. And I only know so much. I could just keep quoting that um, number on the, the UK census. Um, but otherwise, we were struggling to think of characters that were queer. And I'm going, I did it. Two weeks later, I was allowed to say I was Carlac. But at that point, you know, you want to go, there's a whole game. Every, everybody's by canonically, just to start with. I couldn't say it. I was so frustrated. But bless them, they gave me a platform for that before it dropped. You know, um, BAFTA Games has been really good about that sort of thing. You know, if you're playing action and you're playing fantasy and you're playing uh, assigned female at birth, you're basically playing uh, gender non-conforming characters just to start. Uh, yes, you might go, that's not a thing for a lady to do, but they, you also get to smack them in the head to prove their points. So it's always been very liberating. It, film, theatre, TV always had a problem with my gender presentation along with my ethnic appearance, so I was never going to win that one. But um, I proved them wrong because they basically said I was unlovable in my gender presentation. <laughs> I played one of the most lovable characters. You know? So... Yeah, let's put that to bed now. But um, so, yeah, in terms of coming out and being out and being in this body, and this is what I said at BAFTA as well, I had nothing to lose. You know, they say beware the person who has nothing to lose. I think it can have a positive connotation as well. It, I just have nothing to lose. And if it makes people happy to find out that their character, this actor slipped in like a Trojan horse, because I don't start on that foot. I 
you know, I want them to like like me. And then if they have a problem, they have to have that little, yeah, the, the I can't remember what's cognitive dissonance, right? They've got to have that. I'd like to see more NBs with beards. That's what I'd like. I'd just like to see one in media. Just mention it off the cuff or something. You, you know, you know. I saw one the other day. I, Thirsty oh, yeah? Sutures. I played a game just this week. Called tell me, Thirsty tell me. Su- it's called Thirsty Sutures, which is a Thirsty Sutures. I do know this game and I didn't, but I'm going to spread the word because of, in real life, I've got non-binary friends who have bids and yeah. um, they are not represented in any way in fiction. In this game, there is a character who, Thirsty Sutures, dear listener, is a fabulous name for a game that actually tricks you into an exploration of quite complex uh, emotional intersections and relationships, specifically from a South Asian background. We were talking about it again in my lovely classroom with um, some Indian students who were really pleased because they felt it really reflected something of their experience. And I was really pleased. But one thing that really touched me was there is a non-binary character who has a beard who talks about being Mm -hmm. non-binary and what that can had the difficulties they're in but the joy that they have in their gender euphoria and Yay. it was really cool and Amazing. i can't recommend that game enough it is also hilarious um, isn't that incredible the timing of some of this stuff because i know ndas aside i'm talking about a game that's in development at the moment and they're thinking this deeply about first of all representation across the board not just the actors and the roles they're playing, but actually who they employ to write and develop this stuff. And then also, yeah, who this is going to reach. And this is one of these was actually, you know how we don't talk about the British Empire? This is going to talk about the British Empire in a video game where you interact and it's going to happen. So, and some of the heroes, you know, from all over the world, the clues in the word empire to represent that. And that's so exciting. It's all kind of happening at once. So that's, yeah, good times ahead. (laughs) It sounds like one of those situations where somebody has seen it happen and it's gone successful. So they've started to open the door and we've cracked open the door in the same way that we've always done, that queers and gays and the whole Algebataqua, because I've learned that from watching TikTok, it's called Algebataqua, <laughs> go out, almost act like ice and just get into those little spaces and then just crack it open and the next thing, and we slowly bust open those spaces and say, <laughs> hey, you can have the stuff and it doesn't, exclude other people it brings more people in because i've heard more people and seen more people getting engaged with Baldur's gate 3 and i think it's potentially started people who weren't gamers going i could potentially try this out because it's turn-based because it's narrative there's i said to josephine i was playing it on the kids setting and she's like no you're playing it on the storytelling setting where you're focusing on the story And you still have to fight the combats. You still have to do some stuff, but they're not as integral as they would be if you were playing the combat setting. Yeah. And I think just having that option of playing it not called easy, not called you don't know how to use a controller, it's called you're focused on the story, just also helps it feel like you're not dumb for not being able to make controllers work because (laughs) you didn't grow up with them. I can't play Celeste because I can't figure out how to jump because I never played platform games. So so Josephine's like, I'm going to jump. It's making me sad. (laughs) (laughs) Where's the X button, Dr. J? No, I knew I could jump, but I didn't. You mean timing the jump? And And knowing you could click it twice because I kept trying to jump to pixels that were background because I didn't know that they were background. I'm... 
going Couldn't to offer figure something out. controversial and say that's a poor design choice. I think you you make software, at least you're there when it's put together. You yeah. know it's not the user's fault. Oh, yeah, yeah. As right, a and you know designer. how diverse your users are. So no, no you. Yeah. <laughs> I think what's special about it is, you know, and the legacy of it will be that it's the narrative that sold that game. And you're a proper old school D&D player and you're entitled to play that game however you want and wherever you want. And you're not going to get any judgment from certainly not the actors or the devs. It's The whole point is that it's your characters now. It's your storyline. Um, it should all work. I think we're more worried about plot holes or something rather than, you know, um, judgment of anything else. But um, yeah, what an incredible legacy for that game. And I hope that opens up things. I'm going to go really big back to the, the I guess, the Jungian principles, because I'm going to be a dickhead like that today. But it's interesting what you were saying about the LGBTQI leading the way, because around the world, pretty much every indigenous society, if you're on the rainbow, you're revered. You are worshipped, you are put on a pedestal because you are a seer. You are seeing these different perspectives. You are a shaman. People come to you to understand themselves. Isn't that interesting where we are right now? <laughs> Isn't it wonderful? So, yeah, so you can see all the performers. We're playing the game. We're enjoying it. It is that good. The queers have a very different way of interacting online because we are a diaspora who's a different diaspora and we have used every single technology to connect. I dialed up on bulletin boards to connect to people when I was first trying to understand who I was and come out and I would use a modem to connect up to bulletin boards and try to connect up with people and then when I got to university and it was using Archie and Gopher and some very rudimentary kind of IRC everyone who was queer was trying to connect up to each other Mm -hmm. and I think there's a thing that at every society, I'm sure the clay tablets that come mm. out of Ur and Iran and Iraq, I'm sure there's notes between scribes there that are like hot gay men sex same or something similar. Just the queers desperately trying to connect to each other. I see Roman graffiti. Yeah, is, using, is. using whatever <laughs> technology is there. And we're always the first. And we have such mm. a different relationship mm. to social media and to connecting to people than the straights do. So a lot of straight friends, when I showed them my Facebook, and this was back in 2011, when I was doing some social media stuff for a company that I worked for, and I was trying to explain that I don't know 90% of the people on my Facebook. I don't know 90% of the people on my Twitter. We are connecting because we have a similarity. Mm. We're queer. We're part of this queer diaspora, Mm. not because we know each other. Mm. Whereas they could not comprehend being friends with somebody on social media who you're not friends with in life. And I see that in so many of my work colleagues and so much of my family, they only connect to people who they've met, not to people who they haven't met. Mm -hmm. That's interesting because I ditched Facebook probably for that reason. Yeah. Oh, yeah. People I I know try to drag me into arguments. Like, I just want to talk to friendly queer people in a safe space. I know Twitter's a void, but we also make our own communities. I'm on there still. Mm. For for the trans people I know, for the I... trans artists I know, all the trans creative people that I've work I've gotten through that space because mm. of trans comic writers, trans artists, trans musicians, they're all on there still, even though we. I just had to it. leave. I had one too many pylons. Yeah, and fair. just reached the point of like I quit. I can't anymore. Yeah, fair enough. And I feel bad for walking away from it because in walking away, I've let it become a less kind space, a less queer space, all of that stuff, because I've had to go. 
I'm now queering up Mastodon, Blue Sky. Oh, if anyone wants Blue Sky invite threads, Insta. I don't do TikTok. I I can't do videos can't, on TikTok. No, me neither. This is it, not a TikTok person. It's not good if you're neurospicy. It's almost as if like it's there to antagonise you. Thank you. It's almost as if it's no. like a drug. I never thought on. of it that way. That's so oh, true. Oh, evil. Doing I love thing, and then it's two hours later, and you're like, I yeah. just want to look for a cat video. What was this? I don't look at the for you page. I look at the followers because that way I curate who I see. I might not get all of the stuff that system might think I might want to see. But I've found a whole pile of people yeah. and I enjoy them. And it means that I have a very interesting feed outside of my experience. I've mm. done that thing that I want to really encourage people to do. I go for creators of colour. I, I always explicitly seek out trans people of colour, underrepresented peoples and a whole pile of disability campaigners and a whole pile of people who are neurospicy in different ways and just watch their TikToks and understand more about and empathize and use those to empathize and yes that's social media and that's why we use it because diasporas connect yeah wow i can't follow that (laughs) (laughs) i'm not going to i shan't that's it it's a wrap thank you for your patience in the marathon (laughs) (laughs) i love that oh no so who's breathtaking that's our next thing. Sorry, Ooh. Josephine's just rolling okay. her eyes. No, no, no. If you want to do it, go for it. Um, no, I was opening it. I oh, was for me? segueing for you. I'm obsessed with Persephone, who is Stray Gods, the role-playing musical. I don't know if you know this game. You're in a musical, which is amazing. Before you, you won this competition. Yeah. Okay, so <laughs> you, you meet Calliope, funnily enough, who transfers her capacity of being amused to you in a way that I won't spoil. And then you meet all of these other pantheons of gods. Now, Mm -hmm. most of them are Greek, not all of them, but some of them are. And you have to navigate this world to solve a murder mystery whilst being in a musical, because you are now a muse. So therefore, your muse quality is you inspire a musical. So you inspire people to sing. And like we're talking about branching dialogue trees, the music starts, the song starts, the characters start singing it at each other, and then you get to choose which way the song goes. And the song organically changes depending on your choice and does that several times. And the music, by the way, just got a Grammy nomination. The person mm. who made this music, it's Quite right, but it's damn good. It. Mm. And in it, there is a character called Persephone who is tall, mm. kind of muscular, mohawk, <laughs> funny hair, funny enough, colored hair, tall. I think I have a type. Um, <laughs> very kind of tough and gruff and has had a rough time of it. So gay. <laughs> I love it. And I adore her. She's breathtaking. And I want to be my friend. <laughs> I want to I want to get to You have her. such a thing for tall, stompy ladies in video games. What do you say? I'm not sounding despairing at that. I'm just like I was gonna do say you, you do realise this, don't you? I have a type. What can I do? <laughs> I've now been fully flung open on that one. <laughs> I'm an open book. There's gonna be more. <laughs> <laughs> please, There's please. Game designers, please, just carry on. And in real life, you know, people come up to me, tell me Colac's making them lift. I started lifting. I sh- I never thought I was going to lift in my life, ever. And I have, I have, I have I a colleague who, who, and she is, oh, she's fucking amazing. Okay, sorry, really quick. Body dysmorphia is a thing that I've gone through for many years as a trans person. One of the things that happened when I transitioned was that my body did not quite look the way I was hoping it might, mm-hmm. as many trans people do. And then Doris, my darling colleague who lifts weights was like come and lift weights with me I think you're gonna like it 
And then I started doing it and I was like, hold on, hold on, hold mm-hmm. on. I think I can make another body, one that I can really inhabit mm-hmm. and feel really good about. And uh, yeah, that happened last week. And oh, amazing. I'm, I'm, so I'm lifting heavy things and putting them down again. Oh, it's so much fun, isn't it? It's such a I'm really enjoying it. And I never thought I would. I could never imagine it. And it's I'm, like there's no reason. You yes. just got to do is pick the thing up, put it back down a few times. She's <laughs> doing a course called the Somatics of Weightlifting. That's what she. Oh, that's what she yeah. drew me in on. Mm-hmm. There you go. On that note, we've tried several times to finish this, and I'm so excited that we haven't. We can just keep going, and I just <laughs> I can always keep going. Thank you so much, Sam. Please. Thank uh, you. What a great conversation. I loved it. Yeah, fantastic. I'm going to send this to everyone because. You know, people have been looking for this kind of content from mm. me and, and from this kind of game. So it's great to go deep on that mm. and then also the, the cultural impact of it too. Yeah, thank you so much. Um, thank you. Come back anytime, do this anytime. But in the meantime, thank you so much for joining us. And dear listener, thank you very much for listening once again to It Is Complicated. We don't currently have a Twitter. I do. You can find me there, but you can find us on Patreon, which is patreon.com slash it is complicated, all one word. If you want to back us there, and only if you don't have to, because it's all free always, we use that money to pay for our guests. In this particular instance, Sam was very kind to suggest that we take that money and pay it forward to another guest, which is what we will do, which means we will have someone else on here who will benefit greatly from your generosity. Sam, thank you very much. And if you want to chip in, please do. Give us something there and we will pass it on to all the fabulous queers because that's what we do. And until next time, thank you so much for joining us. Bye. Bye. <laughs>